This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hello, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking with Kennedy Bradley, an epidemiology fellow at the Department of Public Health, Philadelphia. We'll be discussing a fatal infection associated with triazole-resistant Aspergillus fumigatus in Pennsylvania. Welcome, Kennedy. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me today. Let's walk through the title of your article, Fatal Fungicide-Associated Triazole-Resistant Aspergillus Fumigatus Infection in Pennsylvania. What is triazole? Triazoles are a class of antifungal agents that are widely used for the prophylaxis and treatment of invasive fungal infections. For example, voriconazole, which is a second-generation triazole, is the first-line treatment for patients with invasive aspergillosis. Other medical triazoles include fluconazole, itraconazole, and propiconazole. And what's interesting about triazoles is that they're widely used in both clinical and agricultural settings and are highly effective against fungal pathogens of both humans and plants, leading to their widespread use in both settings. What is Aspergillus fumigatus? Aspergillus fumigatus is the most common species of Aspergillus, which is a genus of fungi that are comprised of approximately 180 species of mold. Um, like other Aspergillus species, Aspergillus fumigatus is commonly found throughout the environment, particularly in soil, compost, and other decaying plant material, but it can also be found in household dust, building materials, and in ambient air. So it goes without saying, you will likely be able to find aspergillus in our home. And unlike other fungi, aspergillus fumigatus is thermal tolerant, meaning that it can grow and thrive in normal and high body temperatures, including during fever response. And it's also the most common species of invasive aspergillosis which is a life-threatening fungal infection. And while invasive aspergillosis most commonly affects the lungs, it can also spread to other parts of the body. Who does it primarily affect? Invasive aspergillosis involving aspergillus fumigatus primarily affects immunocompromised patients. So, for example, patients with hematologic malignancies, stem cell or organ transplant patients, or patients receiving immunosuppressive medications. And it can also affect patients who are critically ill, and we're starting to see some of these cases of invasive aspergillus among patients with severe influenza or COVID-19 infections. Finally, a fungicide is? So fungicides are a specific type of pesticide, and they're used to kill or inhibit the growth of fungi in their spores. And in agriculture, fungicides have been widely used for centuries to treat plant infections, prevent crop loss, and increase agricultural yield. For example, in places such as the Midwest and the Southeast, triazole fungicides are widely used on crops, such as wheat, corn, or soybeans. And in addition to their use in agriculture, fungicides may also be used in non-food-specific settings to control mold and mildew in our homes and commercial properties. And they're also used to preserve wood and other materials in the environment. What does an agricultural fungicide then have to do with resistance to antifungal medication in a person? That's a great question, Sarah. Recent research in whole genome sequencing is finding that these resistant aspergillus fumigatus strands found in the environment are closely related to clinical isolates. For example, resistant strands carrying the TR34L98 mutation, which is essentially just a gene mutation linked to environmental fungicide use, that can cause pantriazole resistance in patients. 
have also been found in peanut crop debris that have been treated with agricultural triazole fungicides that are similarly structured to medical triazole. And research is also finding that these isolates are both resistant to fungicides used on plants in the environment and azole medications used in clinical settings. And so due to the widespread use of triazole fungicides in agriculture, researchers suspect that resistance is developing in the environment due to selection pressures. Do we know what fungicides are used so dramatically as antibiotic use is supposedly waning? So several factors may explain the increase in fungicide use, including increased crop production to meet demand, increases in plant diseases in certain regions, and marketing of fungicides on field crops to farmers, such as for reasons such as plant safety. Fungicides are also commonly used and added to spray tanks during insurance applications, which are essentially prophylactic treatments of crops. You mentioned Aspergillus fumigatus being in homes. How does a person get Aspergillus fumigatus? Okay. So Aspergillus fumigatus is ubiquitous, so it is found everywhere. And patients can acquire Aspergillus fumigatus through inhalations of its spores found in the environment. So it's important to note that most people do breathe in Aspergillus spores daily without getting sick. Okay, I always want to clarify here. So it's an inhalation thing. It's not eating moldy food or touching mushrooms or anything like that. No, just inhalation of its spores. And how many people do annually get it? Aspergillus infections are not reportable in the United States. Therefore, the exact number of cases is difficult to determine. However, it's estimated that invasive acidulosis accounts for over 14,000 hospitalizations annually. That's a lot of people, even though it's a small percent of the population. What's the annual economic burden of that? So, acidulosis infections impose over $1.2 billion in direct costs on the United States healthcare system annually. However, the true economic burden may be significantly higher as aspergillus infections are severely underdiagnosed. How do people then acquire this triazole-resistant infection? There are two ways that patients can acquire triazole-resistant aspergillus fumigatus infection. The first way is by inhalation of environmental aspergillus fumigatus spores that are already triazole-resistant. I mentioned earlier that data is suggesting an environmental origin of some of these resistant strands that we're seeing due to widespread triazole fungicide use. So in this case, a patient can inhale aspergillus spores in the environment that have acquired a resistance mechanism, such as a TR34 mechanism, and due to selection pressure, acquire a triazole-resistant aspergillus fumigatus infection. And patients can also acquire triazole infections because of exposure to long-term triazole therapy for chronic aspergillosis. What's the difference in mortality for people who have a resistant infection versus those who don't? Mortality occurs more commonly in resistant infections. A recent study found that 90-day mortality was 25% higher in patients with resistant aspergillosis versus susceptible aspergillosis. So again, these recent findings further highlight the severity of resistant triazole infections in patients. Are these infections a global problem, and what's the United States surveillance like? Is it equal to the rest of the world? Yes, these infections are certainly a global concern. And while the issue of triazole-resistant aspergillus infections 
may not be as well defined as bacterial infections that are resistant to certain classes of antibiotics, such as methicillin resistant Staphylococcus aureus or carbapenem resistant Enterobacterales. We do know that these infections are certainly an emerging threat as more reports of fungal infections are being reported globally. During the last decade alone, Europe and Asia have seen major increases in azole-resistant Aspergillus fumigatus infections, and azole-resistance continues to emerge globally. Unfortunately, however, ongoing surveillance for azole-resistant Aspergillus fumigatus is lacking, both in the United States and in other countries. So most of the surveillance that's being conducted currently is passive surveillance. However, one of the largest surveillance efforts in Europe through was in Europe through the surveillance collaboration on aspergillus resistance in Europe. So there are a few countries that perform their surveillance, such as the Netherlands, but not many. However, it's important to note that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention does provide testing for azole-resistant aspergillus humicatus through the antimicrobial-resistance laboratory network. Kennedy, why did you write this article? We decided to write this article and highlight this particular case in order to raise awareness regarding resistant emerging fungal infections. To our knowledge, this is the first published fatal case of azole-resistant Aspergillus fumigatus infection with a mutation linked to environmental use of fungicides in the United States. So again, we know that these infections exist and we know that resistance is a concern globally. So we want this as an opportunity to further fuel conversations regarding fungal infections and hopefully to define the scope of this issue in the United States. Tell us about the patient and what happened to him. Sure. So the patient was a 65-year-old male who had a complex medical history. The patient had previously underwent chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy for acute myeloid leukemia. And one month prior to hospital admission, the patient had received a stem cell transplant which was further complicated by cutaneous graft-versus-host disease. And despite topical therapy, the patient was admitted to the hospital due to worsening rashes, fever, and lethargy. And shortly after admission, the patient was transferred to the intensive care unit for wound management and treatment for hypovolemic shock. Following the patient's positive aspergillus fumigatus bronchial culture, clinicians initiated boriconazole therapy for probable invasive aspergillosis. Unfortunately, however, the patient's condition continued to worsen and the patient's family had decided to focus on comfort care. The patient expired on hospital day 28 and the autopsy determined that the cause of death was sepsis from disseminated aspergillus fumigatus and rhizopus species infection. How and where was the susceptibility testing done? Can any lab do it? Unfortunately, most U.S. clinical laboratories do not perform antifungal susceptibility testing. However, as I mentioned earlier, susceptibility testing is available through the CDC's antibiotic resistance laboratory network. Therefore, in this case, the hospital laboratory sent the patient's isolate to the CDC as a part of ongoing passive surveillance, which was collaboratively established by the Philadelphia Department of Public Health, the CDC, and the hospital laboratory. So the CDC performed cross-microdilution to determine the MICs of itraconazole and boriconazole for the isolate. And for reference, the minimum inhibitory concentration assay, or MIC, 
is widely used to measure the susceptibility of fungal strains to antifungal agents. In following susceptibility testing, the CDC performed a DNA sequence analysis of the CYP51A gene and determined that the isolate contained the TR34 gene mutation, which has been linked to environmental fungicide use. Okay, a person has uh, got this resistant version, so they can't get the triazole. Are there alternative treatments? That's a great question. Guidelines for treating these resistant infections are lacking. However, an international panel of experts has published practical recommendations for clinicians pending better quality evidence. Antifungal therapy for patients with these resistant aspergillus infections is complex, and it really depends on the type of mutation involved and the patient's individual situation. But treatment might involve combination therapies such as boriconazole, Pustinokinocadin, or liposomal amphotericin B. What do you think is the public health importance of your report? So this report really underscores the potential severity of triazole-resistant aspergillus fumigatus infections with mutations linked to the environmental use of triazole in immunocompromised patients. As I previously mentioned, invasive aspergillosis is not a reportable condition in the United States. So the scope of azole resistance is not well-defined. So this report helps to define the scope of azole resistance in the United States. And this report also highlights the importance of considering the possibility of drug-resistant aspergillus fumigatus infection in clinical settings among patients with invasive aspergillosis who do not improve with first-line therapy. What do you think needs to be done to improve understanding of the problem? Better surveillance, better communication, other things, all of it? <laughs> yes. I think there are many opportunities to improve understanding regarding fungal infections in general. I think oftentimes when we think about fungal infections, we think about ringworms, vaginal yeast infections, or maybe even athlete's foot. But the issue of fungal infections that are resistant to currently available antifungal medications are not commonly addressed. Therefore, raising awareness of these infections will help to improve understanding. I think it's also really important to consider the concept of One Health when thinking about resistance. As you know, the antifungal resistance is not just a concern to human health, but also to plant health and animal health. We also need more robust laboratory-based surveillance and diagnostic tools for aspergillus infections, including systematic antifungal susceptibility testing. Performing susceptibility testing and detecting resistant strands early can not only help to define the scope of this issue in the U.S., but also to help to prevent the spread and inform future interventions if possible. And lastly, we need surveillance, active surveillance. Again, aspergillus infections are severely underdiagnosed, so conducting active surveillance can help us to better understand the true burden of these resistant infections. Should clinicians be doing anything differently? You did mention looking for this resistant infection sooner. Anything else? Well, one way clinicians can help to prevent the spread of these resistant infections is by ensuring that they're being good stewards of the medications that we currently have available. Would you believe that there are only three classes of antifungal medications available to treat fungal infections such as invasive acidulosis? No. It goes without saying that it's really important that clinicians are being good stewards in order to preserve the effectiveness of these life-saving medications and also for any future drugs that may become available. 
health systems should also ensure that they're monitoring antifungal usage and appropriateness of prescribing, similarly to what's being done for antibiotics. Is there a way for people to protect themselves? So it is difficult to avoid breathing in the spores because the fungus is so common in the environment. However, there may be a few ways to lower the chances of developing a severe astrogilus infection for high-risk patients. So, for example, avoiding areas with a lot of dust, like construction sites or evacuation sites, which are some of the areas where the fungus tends to thrive, or wear an N95 respirator while visiting these sorts of sites where astrogilus may be more prevalent. High-risk patients should also avoid activities that involve close contact to soil or dust, such as yard work and gardening if possible, or wear protective clothing and gloves while performing these activities and handling things such as soil, mulch, and manure. Again, all places where aspergillus may be more prevalent. Kennedy, tell us about your job. Sure. I'm a CSTE Applied Epidemiology Fellow at the Philadelphia Department of Public Health within the Healthcare-Associated Infections and Antimicrobial Resistance Program. My primary subject area is in healthcare-associated infections. However, we also focus on other communicable diseases, such as COVID-19. And as a fellow, I work on a variety of projects that are designed to address certain public health competencies, such as epidemiologic methods. I also collaborate often with other programs within the Division of Disease Control, such as the TB Control Program, the Bioterrorism Program, for efforts such as developing toolkits for healthcare workers, presenting program-related work at national conferences, and participating in large-scale vaccination clinics. And what do you like most about it? Well, what I like most about being an Applied Epidemiology Fellow is the unique opportunity to apply my previously acquired epidemiologic skills to a wide array of infectious disease-related projects and tasks. I also really appreciate the opportunity to be involved in a part of a variety of public health efforts, such as promoting stewardship, participating in on-site infection control assessments, and developing timely educational materials. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today, Kennedy. Thank you for having me today, Sarah. And thanks for joining me out there. You can read the September 2022 article, Fatal Fungicide-Associated Triazole-Resistant Aspergillus Fumigatus Infection, Pennsylvania, USA, online at cdc.gov slash EID. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.